This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. You know what is weird to me? Is that anyone would simply believe a specific religion or any other worldview without looking into it. I wouldn't commit my life to a lie. How about you? Ideas are powerful if we believe them. If you believe a lie, it will have detrimental consequences to your life. Faith or any belief must be anchored in reality. Otherwise, why believe it? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The opposite is also true. If you believe a lie, it will make you a prisoner of that false ideology. Every person is on a unique journey with God or in their search for God. For some, the question of the existence for God isn't an issue at all. They have a living relationship with Jesus and experience the reality of God every day. Maybe you have started on your journey with God, but you battle with doubts and fears. I became a true follower of Christ after having a God encounter in a church service. My life got rocked, but I didn't understand much and definitely couldn't give answers to people for why I believe in Jesus compared to any other religion. I remember at times being afraid to look at the evidence for Christianity because what if the evidence is weak? What if the evidence points to Christianity being built on weak or false foundations? I was scared at first, but as I looked at the evidence, my faith became stronger than ever. Christianity is anchored in historical fact. By simply looking at the evidence for Jesus Christ being God, who became flesh, who died for our sins and was literally risen from the dead, we discover that Christianity, and specifically Jesus, stands out from the crowd of religions. No other religion or belief system comes close to what we have in Jesus. The Apostle Peter encouraged all believers to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Believers, we need to be equipped to have reasoned and solid answers for why we believe and ready to share the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. Do you share your story? Do you know why you have hope? Today, I'm going to give you some solid answers to strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you are still finding your feet in your walk with God. Maybe you are asking, can I trust the Bible? Or was it changed by scheming church leaders a few hundred years after Christ? Or did Jesus really rise from the dead physically? Or was it only a spiritual rising from the dead as some liberal theologians claim? Or were Jesus merely a wise teacher that never claimed to be God? But myths about Jesus being God and rising from the dead were added to the Bible in the following hundred or so years. These are great questions and we're going to look at them. Christianity has been assaulted from every possible angle for centuries. And the evidence for Jesus is standing rock solid today. Faith in Jesus is based on historical fact, not vain imaginations or myths. 
I will show you. Then they are the hardened skeptics. They claim there is no evidence for God or miracles. But the truth is that they have embraced such a strong position of anti-faith, a belief in materialism alone, which they can't prove, which causes such individuals to suppress, to ignore, and attack the evidence for the existence of God, specifically attacking the foundations of Christianity. If we could prove one genuine miracle, like the resurrection of Christ, their house of cards will fall apart. The Apostle Peter declares that we have a living hope because of Jesus rising from the dead. No resurrection, no Christianity. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, we can all go home. But Peter, an eyewitness who died for his faith in Jesus, who was there and not only saw Jesus risen from the grave, but had multiple interactions with a living, physically present Jesus after Jesus was brutally killed on the cross. No one survives a crucifixion. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. A relatively small percentage of people in society are hardened atheists, but they are quite vocal and they often know the arguments for why they don't believe. Throw a rock into a crowd at some universities and you'll probably hit an atheist. But in the rest of society, you really have to aim to hit one. So let me quote one of their own. Atheistic Harvard biologist Richard Lewontin, who reveals that atheism is a position of faith, not fact. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories. High-sounding nonsense, as some say, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism, you see, this is by faith, not by scientific evidence. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door? Why not? Why kick against that option? It seems like no evidence for God will ever be good enough for a hardened atheist. Not because there isn't evidence, but rather because of the suppression of the evidence. It's almost like they want God to physically show up and reveal himself. Show me your God, they say. Well, God realized this, and then he did show up in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only figure of any major religion who claimed to actually be God. God didn't merely put a foot in the door. He came and lived among us. We're going to take a look at the evidence for Jesus Christ, for the historical records about Jesus, and if he was truly raised from the dead. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then the atheistic house of cards fall apart. Just one miracle would destroy their faith in there is nothing beyond materialism. No religion has been as heavily assaulted, attacked, and critiqued as Christianity over the ages, and yet it's still standing stronger than ever. Christianity is built on a solid rock foundation. It's unshakable and unstoppable. The evidence for God and for Christ is immense. It will stir your faith. Today, 
Let me give you a few powerful evidences that all point to Jesus being who he said he was and that he truly was risen from the dead. We're going to look at seven arguments thrown against the foundations of Christianity and we're going to determine is it fact or fiction? You decide. Before we get into the evidence for God, it's important to understand the implications of believing that there is no God. Atheism is built on a crumbling foundation. The implications of believing there is no God is massively detrimental to a person and to society in general. As legendary apologist for Christianity, Ravi Zacharias said, without God, you have no moral law, no meaning, and no hope. That's the implication of not knowing the Christian God. So first off, no moral law. That is the part that really excites some people. No moral law. I can do what I want. Wonderful. Freedom, right? The truth is, if morality is relative, then you have no right to claim something to be evil. I can punch you in the face because I feel like it. You might say, hey, that's not right. For you, maybe, but not for me. Morals are relative. If there is no God, then there is no moral lawgiver, then no moral law and no right or wrong. People can do to you what they want. Let's see how you will enjoy that. As it said, if God is not, everything is permitted. And you have no right to be upset about anything. There is no evil. Anything goes, even religion. Number two, if you don't believe in God, there's no meaning. Randy Alcorn sometimes presents his audiences with two creation stories and asks them whether it matters which one is true. In the secular account, you are the descendant of a tiny cell of primordial protoplasm washed up on an empty beach three and a half billion years ago. You are the blind and arbitrary product of time, chance, and natural forces. You are a mere grab bag of atomic particles, a conglomeration of genetic substance. You exist on a tiny planet in a minute solar system, in an empty corner of a meaningless universe. You are a purely biological entity, different only in degree but not in kind from a microbe, virus or amoeba. You have no essence beyond your body and at death you will cease to exist entirely. In short, you came from nothing and are going nowhere. No meaning, no hope. In the Christian view, by contrast, you are the special creation of a good and all-powerful God. You are created in His image with capacities to think, feel, and worship that set you above all other life forms. You differ from the animals not simply in degree, but in kind. Not only is your kind unique, but you are unique among your kind. Your Creator loves you so much and so intensely desires your companionship and affection that He has a perfect plan for your life. In addition, God gave the life of His only Son that you might spend eternity with Him. If you are willing to accept the gift of salvation, you can become a child of God. Now imagine two groups of people, let's call them the secular tribe and the religious tribe, who subscribe to these two worldviews. Which of the two tribes is more likely to survive, prosper, and multiply? The religious tribe is made up of people who have an animating sense of purpose. The secular tribe is made up of people who are not sure why they exist at all. The religious tribe is composed of individuals who view 
their every thought and action is consequential. The secular tribe is made up of matter that cannot explain why it is able to think at all. If you don't believe in God, then you came from nothing and you are going nowhere. Do you really want to live such a life? Even if there was no God, the believer has meaning, purpose and hope in life. The atheist believes that there is no life after death and they won't even enjoy the life that they do have. It sounds like a raw deal to me, but God does exist. The truth confirms this and personal experience also confirms this. I mean, this morning as I was in my usual spot praying and worshiping God, I can experience my wife entering the room. My senses reveal to me that she is literally there. In the same way, I can sense the lover of my soul, God, also enter in as I pray or worship or read God's word. Our physical senses cause us to experience physical reality and our spiritual senses enable us to experience the reality of God. The believer discovers meaning, purpose, and a love that transcends understanding. Nothing compares to knowing God in a personal, experiential way. Life takes on meaning and value when you know God. I was there as a young man, not believing in God. I had no sense of purpose. I hated myself. I battled with depression at times. Also, I was burdened with guilt until I met Jesus. Everything changed. That is the power of meeting with God. One of the great evidences for God is the impact, the radical change that came to be after someone met with Jesus. Not just one or a hundred millions. Especially when skeptics turn to faith. Like Jesus' brother James, who didn't believe who he claimed to be until Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection. Then James believed. Or Saul, who murdered Christians until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. I don't know why they run from me. They should be grateful and saving them from God's judgment. Do they even care about God? No. They abandoned God to follow this dirty, uneducated scum. God!
Jesus appears in a blinding light to him and reveals to Saul that he, Saul, is persecuting God by persecuting Christians and that Jesus calls him to give his life for the cause of Christ. And Saul became Paul. That is phenomenal evidence for Jesus being risen from the dead. How else did they turn? And then thirdly, for an atheist, there is no hope. When you die, it's game over. You cease to exist. Believers in Christ have unrelenting hope. No matter what, no matter the amount of suffering, persecution, or injustice in this life, we have an eternal hope. Now, if you were a Martian looking down on the first century, would you think Christianity or the Roman Empire would survive? You probably wouldn't put money on a ragtag group of people whose primary message was that a crucified carpenter from an obscure village had triumphed over the grave. Yet it was so successful that today we name our children Peter and Paul and our dogs Caesar and Nero. The Roman Empire was brought to its knees by this ragtag group of nobodies who were so persuaded that what they saw, what they experienced, Jesus risen from the dead, that they went everywhere to tell everyone about Jesus, even at the point of dying for what they believed. God and Christianity is unstoppable, not because of military force, but because of the love of God that conquers hard hearts one by one. So open your heart to the truth I'm going to share. There's some great books to look at to go deeper into these evidences I'm sharing with you today. The one is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Another brilliant book is Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig. So let's look at seven assaults on the foundations of Christianity. I'm going to give you short to the point answers for each one. The best evidence comes at the end, so stay with me. Turn your brain on and follow with me. Let's evaluate if these assaults are fact or fiction. So assaulting the foundations of Christianity, assault number one, argument number one, Jesus didn't actually exist. The Bible alone is not sufficient evidence to prove anything about Jesus. There should be independent corroboration, extra biblical evidence for who the Bible claimed Jesus to be. Some claim that there isn't any evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible and therefore is just fiction. Now this argument is simply fiction and shockingly ignorant, if not purposefully malicious. If the Jesus of faith is not also the Jesus of history, he's powerless and he's meaningless. Unless he's rooted in reality, unless he establishes divinity by rising from the dead, he's just a feel-good symbol who's as irrelevant as Santa Claus. We have a hope anchored in historical fact in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, historian Gary Habermas details a total of 39 ancient sources documenting the life of Jesus, from which he enumerates more than 100 reported facts concerning Jesus' life, teachings, crucifixion, and resurrection. If we look at extra-biblical evidence, writings from outside of the Bible and from non-Christians, then we can conclude the following. We would know that first, Jesus was a Jewish teacher. Second, 
Many people believed that he performed healings and exorcisms. Third, some people believed he was the Messiah. Fourth, he was rejected by the Jewish leaders. Fifth, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Sixth, despite the shameful death, his followers who believed that he was still alive spread beyond Palestine so that there were multitudes of them in Rome by AD 64, just 30 years after the crucifixion. And seventh, all kinds of people from the cities and countryside, men and women, slaves, and free worshipped him as God. This is indeed an impressive amount of independent corroboration. So fact number one, extra biblical accounts of Jesus Christ confirm substantially what is written about him in the Bible. Assault number two, legendary tales were added about Jesus. Some say that Jesus was a good and wise teacher but he never claimed to be God and certainly didn't rise from the dead. These are fabrications later added by his followers, they say. As time passed, legendary tales were added to the account. Is this so? 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul most probably around 50 AD. And the most important creed in terms of the historical Jesus is found in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul uses technical language to indicate he was passing along this oral tradition in relatively fixed form. It says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to all the apostles. If the crucifixion was as early as AD 30, Paul's conversion was probably about AD 32. Immediately, Paul was ushered into Damascus, where he met with a Christian named Ananias and some other disciples. His first meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem would have been about AD 35. At some point along there, Paul was given this creed, which had already been formulated and was being used in the early church. Now, here you have the key facts about Jesus' death for our sins, plus a detailed list of those to whom he appeared in resurrected form, all dating back to within two to five years of the events themselves. As Professor Craig Blomberg says, that's not later mythology from 40 or more years down the road, as some skeptics suggested. A good case can be made for saying that Christian belief in the resurrection, though not yet written down, can be dated to within two years of that very event. Now, this takes the wind out of the charge that the resurrection, which is cited by Christians as the crowning confirmation of Jesus' divinity, was merely a mythological concept that developed over long periods of time as legends corrupted the eyewitness accounts of Christ's life. If Jesus rose from the dead as he said he would, then he is God. So fact number two, from the very beginning, Christians believed Jesus to be God and risen from the dead. Legends weren't added later. Jesus is the only religious figure of a major religion who actually claimed to be God. Assault number three. The Bible is based on myths. Jesus rising from the dead is like believing in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. 
The nature of the biographies of Jesus, the gospel accounts, the first four books of the New Testament, are that they are factual eyewitness accounts. It's not mythologically written. Here's one example of Luke, the physician. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Eyewitness accounts carefully investigated. Do you see it there? Luke is clearly saying he intended to write accurately about the things he investigated and found to be well supported by witnesses. Professor Craig Blomberg says, consider the way the Gospels are written in a sober and responsible fashion with accurate incidental details, with obvious care and exactitude. You don't find the outlandish flourishes and blatant mythologizing that you see in a lot of other ancient writings. It seems quite apparent that the goal of the Gospel writers was to attempt to record what had actually occurred. So fact number three, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, are not fairy tales. The biblical writers wrote down what actually occurred. Assault number four, there are inconsistencies in the Gospel accounts. They contradict one another, especially when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. That's evidence that the resurrection is a fabricated story. Now, all the eyewitness accounts agree that they found the tomb empty and actually met the risen Christ in the days thereafter. Some of the inconsistencies can be explained, and the other inconsistencies are on secondary issues that don't change anything. If the Gospels were too consistent, that in itself would invalidate them as independent witnesses. People would then say, we really only have one testimony that everybody else is just parroting. Now, Simon Greenleaf of Harvard Law School, one of history's most important legal figures and the author of an influential treatise on evidence. After studying the, the consistency among the four gospel writers, he offered this evaluation. There is enough of a discrepancy to show that there could have been no previous concert or scheming among them. And at the same time, such substantial agreement as to show that they all were independent narratives of the same great transaction. So fact number four, scores of people saw Jesus risen from the dead. The evidence would stand in a court of law. Assault number five, Jesus is no different to any other religious leader. The coming of Christ, the Messiah, was prophesied hundreds of years before he arrived. God wanted to make sure everyone would know who the true Messiah is. And these were not vague predictions. They were incredibly specific. It would not be possible for just anyone to fulfill the prophecies. The prophecies in the Old Testament, more than four dozen major predictions, almost 50 major predictions, in all were fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah revealed the manner of the Messiah's birth of a virgin. Micah pinpointed the place of his birth, Bethlehem. Genesis and Jeremiah specified his ancestry, a descendant of Abram, of Isaac, of Jacob, from the tribe of Judah, the house of David. 
The Psalms foretold his betrayal, his accusation by false witnesses, his manner of death pierced in his hands and feet, although crucifixion hadn't been invented yet, and his resurrection that he would not decay, but would ascend on high, and so on and so on. Isaiah reveals in graphic detail the manner of his suffering and crucifixion for the sins of mankind. So, Professor Peter Stoner, he did the math and figured out that the probability of one man fulfilling just eight prophecies is one chance in 100 million billion. To illustrate, if you took this number, 100 million billion of coins, it would cover half of South Africa or the whole of France, about you know half a meter deep. We mark one of the coins with a red cross, we shuffle them around, we blindfold you, and you walk as far as you want. You randomly stop and you grab a coin. The possibility of grabbing the right coin, the marked coin, is one in 100 million billion. That is just the possibility of one man fulfilling eight of the prophecies. The possibility of one man fulfilling all 48 major prophecies is indescribably small. It's basically zero. It's impossible for one man to fulfill it unless there's a superior intellect, there's a God who dwells in eternity, who's able to see into the future and move the prophets to write down these details for us so that there would be no shadow of a doubt. So fact number five, Jesus Christ is the only person that fits the description of the Old Testament prophecies and no other religion has anything that comes close to this. Go and check it for yourself. The evidence is overwhelming. Assault number six, there is no evidence for the miracles in the Bible to have occurred. Really? Well, let's look at this. One of the most problematic references in the New Testament is where the gospel writers claim that the earth went dark for about three hours during part of the time that Jesus hung on the cross from 12 noon. If darkness had fallen over the earth, wouldn't there be at least some mention of this extraordinary event outside the Bible? Dr. Gary Habermas has written about a historian named Thales who in AD 52 wrote a history of the Eastern Mediterranean world since the Trojan War. Although Thales' work has been lost, it was quoted by Julius Africanus in about AD 221, and it made reference to the darkness that the Gospels had written about. In this passage, Julius Africanus says, Thales, in the third book of his histories, explains away the darkness as an eclipse of the sun unreasonably, as it seems to me. So Thales apparently was saying, yes, there had been darkness at the time of the crucifixion, and he speculated it had been caused by an eclipse. Africanus then argues that it couldn't have been an eclipse given when the crucifixion occurred. You simply can't have an eclipse at the time of the full moon, which was when Jesus was crucified. There is no natural explanation for it. Scholar Paul Mayer said about the darkness, this phenomena evidently was visible in Rome, Athens, and other Mediterranean cities. According to Tertullian, it was a cosmic or world event. Phlegon, a Greek author, writing a chronology soon after 137 AD, reported that in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, around AD 33, that there was this greatest eclipse of the sun. And then it became night 
in the sixth hour of the day, noon, so that the stars even appeared in the heavens. And there was a great earthquake in Bithynia, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. This is phenomenal evidence. Four different authors of antiquity outside of the Bible speak about this darkening of the earth at noon, but it could not have been a solar eclipse. This is significant extra biblical attestation of the darkness that occurred at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Apparently, some found the need to try to give it a natural explanation by saying it was an eclipse, which it simply could not have been. It confirms the biblical account and it gives proof for a miracle on a massive scale. So fact number six, the extra biblical evidence proves that this miracle truly happened. You can trust the Bible. It is the truth. And if this massive worldwide event did take place, then the other accounts of Jesus' miracles are also true and the atheistic house of cards falls to pieces. Assault number seven. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Therefore, he didn't rise from the dead. Uh, Dr. William D. Edwards, whose 1986 article in the Journal of the American Medical Association concluded, clearly, the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Bottom line, Jesus was dead. Roman soldiers don't make mistakes in killing people through the crucifixion. The soldiers themselves would have been put to death if they failed in killing Jesus. They stuck a spear into Jesus' side and it went into his heart and lungs. Medical evidence reveals Jesus was dead. Now, the amount of testimony and corroboration of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances is staggering. To put it into perspective, if you were to call each one of the 500 plus witnesses to a court of law to be cross-examined for just 15 minutes each, and you went around the clock without a break, it would take you from breakfast on Monday until dinner on Friday to hear them all. After listening to 129 straight hours of eyewitness testimony, who could possibly walk away unconvinced? unless you simply refuse to believe the truth. Sir Edward Clark, a British High Court judge who conducted a thorough legal analysis of the first Easter day, said, To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the High Court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. As a lawyer, I accept the gospel evidence unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts that they were able to substantiate. Fact number seven, Jesus died at the cross and he rose from the dead on the third day as he said he would. The resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It's the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. It's the miracle of all miracles. Something so huge happened, giving more proof for the resurrection that Christians moved the day of worship to Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of Jesus' resurrection instead of the Jewish Sabbath, which was on a Saturday. They instituted communion, celebrating his death. 
Why would you celebrate someone's death if he wasn't risen? And they instituted a water baptism, which represented dying with Jesus and rising with him, even as Jesus was risen from the dead. And these men died for their witness. They died declaring that Jesus risen from the dead and that he is God and that they saw it. Who would die for a lie? They would have known if it wasn't true, yet they gave their lives for Christ and the world was radically changed, not through military force, but through their love for God and people. So what are you going to do about these facts, these truths? It's like dating a girl and you, the man, needs to decide if you're going to marry her. You weigh the evidence, the pros and the cons, but you need to make a decision. You need to make a call. If you wait too long, she might marry another or you both might be dead, which will be too late. You don't know the future. You never have all the facts. Faith, a step of faith is to step into that relationship based on the facts that you do have. It's the same with faith in God. You need to make a call. You need to take a step of faith or you might miss out forever on the greatest love relationship ever. There is nothing that compares to knowing Jesus Christ personally and intimately. No love comes close. Don't just take my word for it. There's millions others that would confirm this. Seek God. Read the Bible for yourself. Go read the book of Luke and discover God for yourself. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let's pray. Father, I pray for courage for each person listening to my voice to act, to pursue, to seek you and to discover the reality of God in a personal way. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.